Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Mount Olive. So glad you joined us today. Those of you that are here, maybe it's your first time here and it's like, ah, I don't know if I want to be here, but we're so glad that you're here and uh, we hope that it's uh, uh, an enjoyable experience for you. Those of you that are uh, tuning in online uh, or listening pod- uh, via podcast later, uh, so glad you tuned in as well uh, and joined us. You know, we've been going through a series and it feels a little bit like an endless series because we started this way back in January. We've been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon ever spoken. The most famous message ever given. It was a sermon that Jesus spoke, and uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, his name's Matthew, uh, records it for us in his, uh, it's, it's called a gospel, but this, this, uh, this kind of uh, piece of literature that is the good news about Jesus. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. And so uh, Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom. If you've ever wondered, what's the kingdom of God like? What's the kingdom of heaven about? Or maybe you've thought about it in different terms. Maybe you thought about it this way. What does it even look like to be a follower of Jesus or to be a disciple? Maybe you heard that word disciples. Like, oh, that's a really big word. What does that even mean? Uh, or maybe, you, maybe you've thought of it this way. What does it look like to be a Christian? And you knew some Christians and you know some Christians and you kind of had a thought and it was like, I don't want to be anything like them. I've had that thought sometimes too, and I'm a Christian, so that's not good on us, but maybe you wonder, what does it even look like to be a follower of Jesus? Well, the best place to start, I think one of the best places to start is the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about the kingdom. We've subtitled the series, Life in the Kingdom. This is what it looks like as Jesus describes what he would want us as the church, us as his followers, to live like. And so this kind of answers some questions about what does it look like to be followers of Jesus, to be Christian. Uh, you know, we're coming to the very end of the series and Jesus is just gonna kind of tie it all up and he ties it all up by comparing uh, two things in four different areas. And we're gonna look at three of them. But before we get that, uh, probably something we all agree with, um, you would agree with, is that outcomes matter. As it relates to life, outcomes matter, right? And, and one of the outcomes we all pursue, this is true of all humanity, all of time, we all pursue the outcome of a good life, right? It's like, I don't know anyone who's like, man, I just kind of want to have a bad life. That's kind of what I'm chasing, just the bad life. No, we all, it is human to chase good life. We want the outcome of a good life. In fact, it is a good thing you chase a good life because God created you for life. That is completely part of how you've been made in his image. And so we, we understand outcomes matter, but here's what we also all understand. Not only do outcomes matter, but pathways matter, right? Because we can have a good outcome and be like, man, I want to have a good life, but the pathway you take determines if you ever get there, right? It's kind of like if you're like, hey, I want to go on vacation and a good destination is Hawaii. I think we'd probably agree Hawaii is a good destination. Uh, You know, so it's like, I want to get to have this good outcome of a good destination. And then you take the pathway instead of going southwest, which leads you to Hawaii. You're like, I'm going to travel east. Nothing good. No, just kidding. East is good. Um, But here's the deal. If you start walking east, you will drown yourself because you're on the wrong pathway. It will end in destruction, right? And so we know that outcomes matter, but we also know pathways matter because pathways always lead somewhere. Pathways always lead to outcomes. 
To give you an, uh, uh, an example, actually, maybe I'll say this first. This is where things get a little bit tricky because we can easily confuse pathways with destinations. We easily confuse pathways with destinations. Let me give you an example of this from the, you know, we all kind of have this desire to have a good life. Uh, that's an outcome. But then sometimes we start going on some pathways and then we confuse the pathways with the outcome. And some of the pathways we might choose is like, hey, money, if I just have more money, that's the good life. Or if I just, you know, relationships or experiences. But here's what you're going to find. You get, you, you, you start uh, defining outcomes uh, of money, relationships, or experiences as the good life and you'll be let down. And some of you have lived long enough to experience that letdown. Some of you haven't, but let me just tell you about it. You can have money, and eventually you have enough money, and you kind of, you're like, man, I, I've arrived. And then you find out that there's this letdown, and it kind of left you empty and wanting more money. It never kind of filled what you thought it would fill. You chase some relationships, and you're like, man, if I just have this relationship, and then you find out on the other side that there's a lot of brokenness sometimes in relationship and left you broken and alone. And maybe you chased as an outcome, like good life is gonna be these experiences, and you went after experiences, and it never filled you, it never came out on the back end what it promised on the front end. It left you wanting. And so we can confuse pathways, because we're like, man, this is gonna be so good, and yet it never delivers we can confuse pathways with outcomes. And Jesus is going to talk about that today. And he's going to say, don't confuse the pathway with the outcome. The outcome with the pathway. So the pathway of the kingdom, this is what Jesus is going to talk about today. And so as he kind of ties up the Sermon on the Mount, he compares and contrasts, uh, speaking about the pathway of the kingdom, four things, two areas, uh, two th four things in two ways. He's going to talk about two uh, roads. He's going to talk about two uh, trees, two claims, and then the last one's going to be two houses. We're going to talk about that next week. So we're going to talk about the three today, okay? Here's what Jesus says, talking about the two roads as it relates to the pathway of the kingdom. He says this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. A couple observations about what Jesus has just said. First observation is this. Jesus says, there are only two pathways. There's a narrow road and a narrow gate. There's a broad road and a broad gate. There is narrow and wide. There's no in-between. And we have to understand it. In the pathway of life, you get to choose the narrow or the wide. There's no like third or fourth or fifth option. I just kind of want to do my own thing. It's narrow or wide. That's what Jesus is saying. The second thing is, observation, the outcome is life or destruction. Again, there's no third or fourth or fifth option here. It's not like, well, I kind of want to do this. It's kind of life, but not. No, Jesus says there's two pathways and there's two outcomes. There's two outcomes. It's either life or destruction. Now, I told you earlier, we all desire outcomes, right? Now, if we were just looking at what Jesus has kind of given us as options, he's like, there's two options for outcomes. You can have life or destruction. I don't know a human in history that would choose destruction, right? If we're just going by outcomes, I mean, all of us are like, 
yes, I want life. I mean, duh, like we all, we all want that, right? But here's where things get interesting about what Jesus has just said. The third observation. Only a few find it. Only a few find life. Now this is confusing because if the outcome is life or destruction, I mean, all of us would agree. We want life. So why is it that we all want the same outcome, yet we don't all find it? In fact, he says only a few find the very thing we're all looking for. Why is that? It's the fourth observation. It has to do with the narrow and the wide road. And what I said earlier, and what Jesus is getting at is, don't confuse the pathway with the outcome. Don't confuse the pathway with the outcome. And here's what he says. He says, so many of us confuse the pathway with the outcome, and we get on a wide road, and it's spacious, and it's luxurious, and we get to take all our stuff, and all of us, and our friends with us, and everybody's on it, and we look at the pathway, and we're like, this is the good life. I mean, everybody's on it. And he says, you just confused the pathway with the outcome. You think you're on, you're, you're, you've arrived at the good life because of the pathway you're on. What you don't understand is this is not the outcome. This is the pathway. And likewise, he says, there's a narrow road. And it's so narrow, it's so restrictive that you can't take nothing with you. And, and, and nobody's on it. It's like I'm traveling alone. There's just like a few of us on this road. And sometimes you're tempted to think, have I missed it? And Jesus says, don't confuse the path you're on with the outcome. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it because it seems like it's the good life. But it's not the outcome. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and few find it because why would I enter that? That's so restrictive. I have to lose everything to go through that gate. See, I said earlier, the, 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 the narrow gate Jesus is talking about is so restrictive, you can't take anything with you. In fact, it's so restrictive, you can't take you with you. You can't take you, you have to leave all of you behind to get through this narrow gate. The way Jesus says it in uh, Luke, another gospel, he, uh, another one of his followers writes the, the good news, the good story about Jesus, and he records Jesus saying, hey, if anyone, this is in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, if an, anyone wants to come after me, which is his way of saying, if you wanna enter the kingdom, if you wanna be my follower, if you wanna be my disciple, if you want to come after me, you have to get this, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And when Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, he wasn't like saying, take up your cross, like, okay, I gotta get that chain with that cross and like wear it around my neck because it's cool to have like a cross or like put that cross on my rear view mirror in my car because the cross is like a cool symbol in our day and age today. In the first century, the cross was not a cool symbol. It was literally the symbol of an excruciatingly painful death. It was the Romans, I mean, made crucifixion uh, uh, famous. And you, you weren't going along with what the Roman Empire said. It's like, you're dead by crucifixion. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? You got to die. 
Die to yourself. You can't come through the narrow gate with you. The only way you come through the narrow gate is through me. In John chapter 10 or 14, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the way. John was another follower of Jesus and he writes his own story of Jesus. And he says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father on their own, by their own ability, by all the good works that they did, like, hey, I made my way. No one comes on their own. They only come through me. Jesus says, I'm the gate. And to enter into the kingdom, to enter into life, you got to lose everything and get me. Earlier in John chapter 10, Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the gate. He actually just says it. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the gate. Whoever comes through me, whoever puts their faith in me, whoever trusts in me, they're the ones who get life. In fact, that's what he says next. He says, they will come in and, out and go out and find pasture, which is like weird. It's like, that's not one of the things I want, Jesus. I don't want pasture, right? Like, it's not like an outcome I'm chasing, right? That's like, sheep want that, right? Well, here's the deal. In the context of what Jesus has been talking about in John 10, he's been talking about this idea that he's like, I'm the good shepherd and you're the sheep. He's kind of using this, this metaphor. And he says, the only way you as sheep get to find pasture and for sheep, I mean, pasture is like, they just hit the jackpot. It's like, life is good. I found some pasture. Jesus says, you want pasture, you have to go through the gate, which is restrictive. And I'm the gate. And as you come through this restrictive path, don't be deceived and, 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 and confuse the path with the destination. You lose everything and you receive me instead. And you get through that gate and you find pasture and suddenly it is the most spacious life you could ever dream of. He goes on to say, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, enter through the gate. Enter through the, the narrow gate. You lose everything to gain so much more. Back to that passage I, I spoke to you earlier about Luke recorded for us where Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross, kind of this dying to self. Jesus goes on to say, what good is it? What good is it if you gain the entire world and yet lose your soul? In essence, he says, what good is it for you to walk on the broad road that seems so spacious and it's like, I just hit the jackpot, my life is good, you, and you confused the, the, the pathway with the destination and you're like, I made it. What good is it for you to make it and yet lose your soul? How much better to lose it and enter through Jesus and gain life. Full, abundant, eternal life. And Jesus is saying there is no life outside of me. So I want to ask you today, have you entered through the narrow gates? Are you still trying to find that broad road and it's like, man, it's so good and you've confused the pathway with the outcome? And Jesus is saying, don't confuse the pathway with the outcome. You could gain the entire world and yet lose it all. 
Have you entered through the narrow gate? And maybe you're wondering, how do I enter through the narrow gate? What does it look like? Well, first, it looks like, A, admit that you're a sinner. You say, God, I can't bring enough. I can't do enough. And I've done things to wrong, wrong against you, wrong against others. I am wrong. And I need someone to save me. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe Jesus is your savior, that he's the gate. You release everything and say, Jesus, I take you on. You are my life. And then see, you commit your life to following him because he's your life. You say, you're my king, you're my Lord, I'm following you. Admit your sinner, believe in Jesus as your savior and then commit your life to following him. Enter through the narrow gate. Have you entered through the narrow gate? Well, Jesus continues as he talks about the pathway of the kingdom. He says, here's the two roads. But next he goes on and speaks about the two trees well not at first it's just one person he says this watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they're ferocious wolves so here's the deal maybe you're like what's a prophet i mean we want to talk about prophets a whole lot in our culture today what is a prophet a prophet simply put is someone who speaks to the people for god He is like God's mouthpiece. It's like God said, you need to do, right? And Jesus, what he's saying now, he's saying, hey, as you walk on the pathway of the kingdom, watch out for false prophets, for people who say, hey, I'm speaking for God, and they're actually not speaking for God. And here's why Jesus says you need to watch out for them, because they can mess you up. They can derail you from the life on the pathway of the kingdom. They can mess you up. He says it more, you know, colorful clothing. He's like, or uh, colorful language. He's like sheep's clothing and they're ferocious wolves. How can they mess you up? Well, I bet at some point some of you have nearly been derailed by false prophets. And we don't call them prophets maybe today. We call them pastors, Christian leaders, someone you looked up to. And suddenly, you found out things about their life or some things about their teaching that weren't actually Jesus-centered. It was wrong, and some things came out about their moral life, and you, you, it kind of caused you to question your faith. You're like, well, I've been following this guy, and he's not even following Jesus. And it caused you to question your own faith. False prophets can mess you up. So what are false prophets, and what might they look like? Well, In the Old Testament, that's the first part of your Bible, uh, we have some descriptions of these false prophets and some of the things they do and some of the ways that they're false. And Jeremiah, who was a prophet, he speaks for God and God kind of comes against these false prophets. And it helps us understand a little bit what Jesus is talking about. So I'll just go through this fairly quickly. This is what uh, Jeremiah says. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying, what they're saying to you, saying, I said this. God is saying, they fill you with false hopes. That's what false prophets do, false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They're just telling you lies. And he goes on. They keep saying to those who despise me. This is the lies they're telling. The Lord says, you will have peace. And to those who follow the stubbornness of their own hearts, they say, no harm will come upon you. In essence, these false prophets, and this is true of false pastors and teachers and spiritual leaders, they'll often just tell you what you want to hear. You gotta be careful when someone's telling you, it's like, man, it just always sounds so good. And it never unsettles you at all. It's like, man, that just kind of is like, that's what I wanna hear. Watch out for those guys. They may not be speaking the truth. 
He goes on, he says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. In fact, this is so important. I want us to say this out loud together, okay? One, two, three. Greedy for gain. Those of you online, join us this time, okay? Here we go. Greedy for gain. This is really important. We're gonna come back to this. From the least to the greatest, they're all what? Greedy for gain. Prophets and priests. Priests were other spiritual leaders in that day, so we have all the spiritual leaders. God is saying they're all false and they're all just looking out for themselves. And they practice deceit. Deceit is like they're not telling you the truth. Why? Because they're what? They're greedy for gain. He goes on and says, here's what it looks like. They dress the wound of my people as though it's not serious, saying, peace, peace. They say, when there is no peace. These guys are just telling people what they want to hear. And when a spiritual leader is only telling you what you want to hear, be careful about that. So Jesus comes along. He says, watch out for false spiritual leaders, false prophets. They come to you and it's like, man, they're like, really, they're my friend, they're my bud. But they can mess you up. So how do we identify who's good and who's bad, who's false and who's right? Because some of you are thinking, man, what about you, Pastor Elvin, right? Exactly. I got I to gotta pass that test as well and you should be testing me. Is what Elvin's saying, good and true and right. Here's what Jesus says. Here's how we identify them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good, uh, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So it's kind of like Jesus going in circles saying the same thing. He goes on and says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, Jesus, just tell us what you're trying to say. Okay, here's what I'm trying to say. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. They got bananas, no bananas. They're, no, this is what he's talking about. He's saying by their fruit. So what is the fruit that we're looking at? What's the outcome of their lives or what they're doing or what they're teaching? What are we looking at? Let me suggest too, there's probably a lot of different things that you could be looking at as you think, is this spiritual leader legit or not legit? But here's two, as you consider fruit of spiritual people you wanna follow. First one is this, you need to consider their message. Consider their message. Is this actually true? Does this line up with like actually what God's word says in other parts of scripture? In fact, you should be doing this every time you come on Sunday. It's like, is, that, is what Elvin's saying true? Is he just going off again, Elvin off in his mouth? Is this actually true? Consider their message. But even beyond the truth of their message, I think one thing that we got to consider as we consider those who are legit spiritual leaders and those who, who are not is what's their message about? Because a lot of pastors and a lot of spiritual leaders, if you look at their message, at the end, all they're trying to pump up is them. They don't tell you anything difficult. They kind of just tell you things. And sometimes even when they tell you difficult things, they're telling them telling you to do some difficult things so it looks good on them, right? What was the thing that God was mad at the false prophets in the Old Testament for? Because they were what? Greedy for gain. And I think we need to be wary, uh, wary of those spiritual leaders where the message always comes back to them. And they have power and they have influence and they use their power and they use their influence to pump up their own tires. 
It's like, hey, you need to give money to my organization because I want your money. You need to serve because it looks good on me. You need to do because it looks good on, consider their message. It's interesting in that passage I read earlier about where Jesus says, hey, I'm the good shepherd and, and I'm the gate and you're the sheep. Jesus talks about shepherds who are bad shepherds. He says the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd is the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The bad shepherd's shepherd lays down the sheep's life for the shepherd. They're greedy for gain. Consider their message. Are they someone who's willing to sacrifice, to speak hard things, and is it even true? Secondly, consider their moral conduct. Consider their moral conduct. And this one's harder to see because a lot of spiritual leaders we follow from a distance and we don't know their moral lives. And sometimes it doesn't come out till later. What's, what's true? And, and this is where things can mess us up because we follow a, a Christian leader and then years later we find out there was this underbelly of their life that was just full of ugliness and, and sexual abuse and, and, and power abuse and, and, and manipulation. And, and it kind of caused you to think, well, if they were a Christian and they did that, do I even want to follow Jesus? It can mess us up, right? And Jesus says, you've got to watch out, so consider their moral conduct. I want you to consider one thing I did not put on here. And I think this is important because I think often as Christians, if you're not a Christian, maybe you don't think this way yet. But as Christians, we can kind of get uh, pulled in directions because of this. Notice I did not say the fruit, we should consider as we consider fruit, the fruit of the size of their ministry. Let me say this. Big crowds is not evidence of good character. Big crowds. A lot of people can pull big crowds. And sometimes we see someone with a big crowd and they wrote a book and it makes it big and we think, man, this must be legit, it must be true. We still need to pull up our, our, our antennas and say, is this true or is this not? Because we can kind of fall for big crowds and say, well, this, look at the fruit of their ministry. Look at their success Big crowds is not evidence of good character. Consider their message, consider their moral conduct as you consider who are the false prophets, the false spiritual leaders, and who are the spiritual leaders I'm willing to say I wanna follow. And Jesus says this is important because the false ones can mess you up as you consider life on the pathway of the kingdom. Well, thirdly, Jesus is gonna talk about two claims. And this is specifically to those of us who would claim to be Christians. So if you're not a Christian, I think you'll enjoy this because you're like, ah, amen. You're going to say amen to this part. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is going to hit home pretty strongly. Here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what Jesus is not saying is that no one who says to me, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. We know Jesus is the gate. We talked about that already, right? He's the narrow way that we only get into the kingdom. We only get eternal life by putting our trust, our faith in him and him alone. And in fact, the apostle Paul, another follower of Jesus said this. He said, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is how we enter through the narrow gate, through the person of Jesus. When we say, Lord, Lord, what Jesus is saying is this, not everyone who says with their mouth, Lord, Lord, is in. Now here's the question. How do we know which ones are and which ones aren't? And Jesus is like, I'm glad you asked. Let me, let me tell you. He goes on. But 
only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Prophecy is like, we taught a lot of good things about you. We spoke for you. We did, we had all kinds of power. We did this in your name. We did miracles. I mean, these are people that like did big things. They drew crowds. Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus makes this startling statement. This is going to kind of hit us a bit. He says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Jesus says, not everyone who goes off on their mouth and says, Lord, 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 Lord. Even people who say, Lord, Lord, and they do all kinds of things in the name of Jesus. But he says, but only the one who does, only the one who does the will of my Father. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, obedience is a big deal. Obedience is a big deal. And what Jesus is doing here when he says, uh, when, he's, when, he says when he's talking about obedience, what he's saying is this, you can't separate faith and works. You can't separate trust and obedience. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And when you try to separate them, you miss out on the pathway of the kingdom. See, none of us make it into the kingdom by works. It is only through the person of Jesus. He is the gate. But Jesus says, who, how you got in and who you become are intertwined. You can't separate them. Obedience is a big, big deal. In fact, earlier in the series, you may remember this. You may, maybe not. This is a long time ago. I said that life in the kingdom is this life of obedience. You can't separate obedience from what it means to follow Jesus. You can't separate them. In fact, uh, uh, some of you who aren't Christians, some, maybe part of the reason you're not a Christian is because Christians have separated their faith in what they do. You think, you don't do any of what you say you believe. Why would I want to join in with that? But not only is it obedience. Life in the kingdom is not only obedience. Remember, Jesus is the gate. And there's something else Jesus says in that passage that's really, really important. He says, the one who does the will of the Father, but then at the end he says this, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Knew you. And here's what I want to tell you today. Life in the kingdom is a life of relationship, of knowing God through the person of Jesus. He is the gate and a life of obedience. And they're inseparable. Inseparable. It's a life of saying, God, I know you and I am known by you because I have put my faith in the person of Jesus. He is the gate. It is through him that I get life. But now that I'm in the kingdom... My entire life has changed because I left my life back at the gate. And Jesus is my life. And here's what a follower of Jesus is, as simply as I can put it. A follower of Jesus is someone who's growing. It doesn't mean we've arrived, but someone who's growing to become someone who lives like Jesus would live. That's what a follower of Jesus is. Someone who's growing to become someone who lives 
like Jesus would live. It's obedience, but it starts at relationship. It begins at relationship. I want to tell you, those of you that are Christians, I want to tell you, and this isn't, if you're not a Christian, um, you're going to probably say amen to this. But did you know, Christians, that non-Christians actually have an expectation on you? And do you know what non-Christians' expectation is on you? That you would live what you believe. The nerve, huh? They actually think that we Christians would live what we believe. And here's the deal. In this area, non-Christians are a lot like Jesus. Because Jesus has an expectation that we who claim Lord, Lord would actually live what we say we believe. And again, that doesn't mean that we're going to do it perfectly every time. But that there's this growing aspect in us that we are not just learning more about God. That we don't just say, well, I'm in a relationship with him. Lord, Lord. But that when we say, Lord, Lord, that he's actually our Lord. That he's actually our king. And that means we do as he says and we do as he did. See, I think this actually clarifies some things for us in the Christian life. And I'm still talking to you that are Christians. You know, in the Christian life, there's a lot of Christian duty. And, and sometimes we, we confuse the means and the end. And, and here's the end of the Christian life. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's about relationship with Jesus and obedience with him. Which means all of the duty of the Christian life, if it does not end here... It's simple, empty religion. It doesn't mean anything. It's going to tire you out. You're going to give up on the faith because who wants religion? And let me give you a few uh, examples of Christian duty that we mess up the means in the end. Things like praying. Things like reading our Bibles. These are Christian duties. Giving to the poor. Maybe tithing to church. Showing up in church. When we see these Christian duties as ends, we check them off the list. Like, hey, I went to church, check off the list, and then go live how I want. Oh, I read my Bible, check off the list. I gave some money to the poor, check off the list. And, and do you what those things are not ends? Christian duty is a means to an end. Do you know what the end is? Relationship with Jesus, with God through Jesus, and obedience. Which means this, we approach Christian duty completely differently. Because the goal, the end of Christian duty is, do I know God more? And am I in relationship with him? And has it changed my life? Which means this, and some of you are gonna say, I don't know if this is false. Elvin's a false teacher. But here's, here's how it relates, and I believe this strongly. So if you disagree with me, I already think you're wrong, and that's okay, you think I'm wrong, and we'll, we can talk about it later. But as it relates to Bible reading, you are better off reading your Bible for 15 seconds and it actually changed something in you, then for you to sit and read your Bible for three hours and pray and it do nothing. Because the goal, the end of your Christian duty is not to know more. It's to be in relationship with Jesus, to know someone more and then become like him. Your Christian duty of giving, of showing up in church, if it's something you check off the list, hey, I'm done, if it doesn't result in you being changed, Stop doing it because you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And it's becoming empty religion that's going to tire you out. So all of Christian life has one end. Jesus 
to know him and to become like him. And I dare say that if we who follow Jesus embrace that, those who are not yet followers of Jesus would look at us and say, I could be like them. I want to be like them. They live like they believe. And it's interesting, the early church, the early Christians, they were not called Christians as, 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 a, as a compliment. They were called Christians as a derogatory put down. It was a slam. Because everyone said, you guys are just like Jesus. And Jesus had been crucified. You're just these little Jesus people. And they mocked them. You're just these little Jesuses all around the world. They weren't mocked as Christians because of what they thought or believed. They were mocked because of how they were Jesus. May we embrace that picture as followers of Jesus again and give a picture to those who aren't yet followers of Jesus something to live into. Life, full, abundant life. See, outcomes matter because, uh, because that's where we end up and pathways matter because pathways always lead to outcomes. And life in the kingdom is a life of relationship and obedience. It's a life of obedience and relationship. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. It starts with Jesus because we only get life through Jesus and it ends with Jesus because we start looking like Jesus. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. And God, it's a challenge for those of us who are your followers because I know in my life there's a lot of growing yet to do. I haven't yet arrived and, and there's so much more that you need to form in me and change in me. And God, may we as your, as your people embrace this picture that following Jesus is this movement. It is not stagnant. It's not knowledge. It's this constant changing to be formed into your image. And so Father, may we grow in relationship with you and in obedience to you. God, give us courage and strength to submit ourselves and truly declare you king. And Father, for those that are here listening, maybe online, and those that are in the building, and this idea that Jesus, you're the gate, this is just new idea, and it's so foreign. And yet they, and, and I'm speaking to those of you right now, you're feeling God's tug on your own life. There's this unsettledness in your own soul and you know today that if you stood before God, your creator, that you would not be right with him. And God, I pray that, that you would work in those who are feeling that right now, that they would understand today's their day of salvation, that they can receive Jesus, that they can enter through that narrow gate, that restrictive gate, to let go of themselves, to die to themselves and say, Jesus, I believe in you, you are my life. So Father, if there are those that uh, are sensing that, I pray that you would work in them and that they would respond. Father, I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.